hypermobility is a connective tissue disorder. So we have connective tissues all over our body, which is why it affects nearly everything. Your organs, joints, vessels, skin. So he explains why we get such a broad spectrum of features with these patients. Hypermobility and Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or EDS, has moved a lot in the last five years. So today we had Dr. Chen to guide us through the changes in the diagnosis and treatment of those conditions. Dr. Chen has completed a PhD at the University of Queensland. She works at a clinic called Not Just Bendy, where they specialize in people with hypermobility, EDS, and other comorbidities. This was a wonderful episode covering diagnostics, assessments, treatments, and a lot of awarenesses around the whole human when dealing with these conditions. Please sit back and enjoy this episode. My name is Michael Risk and this is Physio Explained. Welcome Chan and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Could you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do and how you came to be interested in hypermobility and EDS? Yes, so I'm a physio based in Brisbane, Australia, and I currently work at a practice called Not Just Spendy Hypermobility Services, where we are entirely dedicated to patients with hypermobility and Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, known as EDS. So I became interested in it after realizing myself that I was also hypermobile, and that was how, you know, it all got started, really. (laughs) That's a really cool... Did you say it's not just Bendy? Yeah, not just Bendy. That's a really cool name for a practice. (laughs) It is. I can imagine a patient saying that. Yeah, because it literally is not just Bendy or hypermobility you're dealing with. It's a whole lot more of other things. It's quite interesting, actually. That's really cool. And you had a personal experience with it, which got you a little bit more interested? Yeah. Yeah. And that was... Was that with your neck, you were saying? I guess... Broadly, it was, you know, recurrent injuries, Mm. joints, subluxing and dealing with fatigue and things like that. I was wondering, you know, why haven't we learned these things at university and why hasn't anyone connected all of those things for me? Mm. So I started researching more into it. And so I work with Sharon Hennessy, who has given me lots of resources and directed me to lots of resources around it, which has helped me in my practice as well. Yeah. And to that point, did you feel maybe not mismanaged is the right word, or you probably didn't have someone that connected all the dots for you? I think it was a lack of awareness Hmm. was probably the main problem. Yeah. Yeah. And lacking someone to connect the dots for me. So I'm hoping that now in my practice, I'm helping people to do the same. So they're less likely to have delayed diagnosis and less likely to, you know, suffer for longer. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And, And so let's get into that. What are the differences here between hypermobility and EDS and, and how might you identify that? So I think in the past, long time ago, hypermobility was known as joint hypermobility syndrome or benign hypermobility syndrome. And I think the misconception is that it only affects the joints. Mm. It's not the case. The terminology has evolved over the years and it is now more accurately known as HEDS or hypermobility Ehlers-Danlos syndrome 
or hypermobility spectrum disorders, HSD. There's also 14 EDS subtypes, so I won't go into the details of that, but HEDS is the most common, and it it is the only one without a genetic marker. So you can't actually go and get a genetic test for HEDS, so it's usually a diagnosis by exclusion. Okay, yeah. But when you see a patient that comes to you with HEDS or HSD in a physio practice, I usually manage them pretty similarly. It doesn't mean that someone with HEDS is less or more severe than someone with HSD. In fact, sometimes it can be the reverse. So my management approach for them is quite similar, which is to be open-minded, to listen, and to provide an individualized approach. The symptoms can vary very widely between patients. Mm. So I do see patients who are more highly functional. They can perhaps work part-time to full-time with some supports. And then on the other spectrum, I see patients who are actually bed or wheelchair-bound. They might be on the disability pension or NDIS. So it's a very diverse group. The main features that I see in practice are chronic pain, acute on chronic pain injuries, joint instability, chronic fatigue, also things like allergies, which may not be anaphylactic type allergies. It could be intolerances to environmental triggers or food triggers. Also things like gut and digestive issues, headaches, dysautonomia as well. Under the umbrella terminology of this autonomia, we also see people with POTS. So that's a, something that comes up pretty often. POTS is also known as postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which comes with a whole list of symptoms, including dizziness, fatigue, tachycardia, and things like that. There's also a lesser known correlation with hypermobility, which is neurodiversity. If we have time, I might be able to talk a little bit more about it. Yeah. And so when you started that, you said it doesn't just affect the joints. And then those other things you mentioned, are they correlations or causations or comorbidities for people with EDS? There's... um. I don't think there's enough research at the moment. Hmm. There's probably more correlational research at present. But I guess theoretically, because hypermobility is a connective tissue disorder. Hmm. So we have connective tissues all over our body, which is why it affects nearly everything. Your organs, joints, vessels, skin. So he explains why we get such a broad spectrum of features with these patients. Yeah. And does the research indicate a rough percentage, or maybe you just go off your clinical experience, a rough percentage of people with hypermobility or EDS, how many of those would you say percentage-wise have chronic pain or chronic fatigue or, or something significant that goes along with that? I don't have a research of the top of my head to Mm. quote but I might also be biased because our clinic is dedicated to people with hypermobility yeah but 
top on the list is definitely pain and fatigue. Yeah. In fact, they might often be related. So we have to manage both of those together. Mm. And I find that as physios, maybe we don't have enough training to manage fatigue, but I think the comorbidities related to EDS contribute to pain and fatigue in their different ways. Yeah. When it comes together, it's a, you know, it becomes a very difficult mix sometimes to manage. Mm. And if I'm a if if I'm a new grad physio or a physio who is experienced but not in this, what would first tip you off to someone who's on the spectrum, or what assessments might you conduct? Good question. So, in fact, for me, for my first session, it's usually for an hour. So I have I do have the luxury of time to to ask them lots and lots of questions. In my practice, I find that through my line of questioning, I can get a lot out of it. Yeah. In our practice, we do have sort of a bit of a template to go through what to ask them, including questions about whether they have issues with their gut, issues with allergies. So might be a little bit outside of physio, but we just want to get a general impact of hypermobility on these patients. Then after assessing them subjectively, I would then discuss with them their list of priorities for the day or for the mm. next few sessions. So I may not even have time at the first session to do a physical assessment on them. Yeah. If I do, it sometimes has to be limited because some of them are really sensitive to assessment. So I find that the subjective assessment is perhaps a bit more useful for me in my practice. Yeah. Yeah. And so given your experience as well, that you might have a really good idea after just conducting the subjective. Chen, I was going to ask you, is there still an objective questionnaire or set of assessments? I think this is so outdated, but again, I remember something like if you could touch your toes and if your thumb could touch your wrist, is there some kind of battery of tests that would tip you off like that currently that's evidence-based? Yeah, so that's a good question because that leads us back to diagnosis. Mm. So the for HEDS, there is a three-part diagnostic diagnostic criteria that has been devised by a group of EDS researchers yeah. and clinicians. So I sometimes use that as a guide. It is available on the EDS UK website, which is my go-to for resources or most updated resources. They also have a YouTube channel as well if you want to to follow them. But the three-part diagnostic criteria is quite strict and it's strict because it's devised for mainly research purposes. So I would, you know, use that as a guide but not follow it sometimes to the T. Sometimes for my patients, for whichever purposes, I might refer them on to an EDS-aware rheumatologist or geneticist for a formal diagnosis instead. From the physio perspective, what I just want to know is what are their symptoms, what's their pain like, what's their fatigue like, what are the overarching issues that we can discuss 
and whether I need to refer them on to other specialists for the other issues that I cannot manage in practice. Yeah, it's a good tip off. I guess if someone's presenting with some of those comorbidities, pain or fatigue, and you're suspecting hypermobility, I like how you said that a referral to a rheumatologist is could be appropriate. Is that probably the most common referrer you might have in this space? Yeah, this is actually quite tricky because unfortunately, I think it's an awareness problem again. Not mm. not all rheumatologists are aware of EDS. So yeah. we do have a relationship with some of the local specialists who are EDS aware or more interested in the EDS population because they mm. can be quite complex to manage. Yeah. So in Brisbane, we would uh, refer to a rheumatologist or a geneticist, but I think I think in the US or the UK, it might be a bit different. So mm. I'm not... And also, in, you know, if it's in Melbourne or Sydney, yeah. it could also be a different case, but I'm just not aware what it's like over there. If they're EDS aware, what extra support might they offer? Is it like diagnostic or more treatment? Mainly diagnostic in my mm. experience. Yeah. And and then these specialists could then go on to refer them on to other EDS-aware specialists yeah. as required. Yeah. That's nice. And that's nice to have for patients that have experienced that. And you mentioned a bit earlier about how neurodiversity might impact this. Could you speak a little to that? Yeah. So it's quite interesting because... We do see quite a bit of patients who are neurodiverse in our practice, and that is not a coincidence. In fact, there's emerging studies now linking neurodiversity to hypermobility. So people who are neurodiverse may be on the autism spectrum Mm -hmm. or they may have ADHD. So in practice, I would be more sensitive to their sensory needs, be it lighting or air conditioning or, you know, having the fan in their direction are usually, you know, not well tolerated. So with lighting, we have adjustable lighting in our practice for them. Sometimes if they start to look a bit stressed, I might ask them, you know, if it's, if the light's bothering them or it's, if it's the temperature bothering them, or sometimes it could also be noise. Yeah. If your consult room is quite close to the reception, and mm. if the reception is, you know, a bit loud and people are talking over each other, it can also be quite distracting for them. So yeah. I guess being sensitive to their sensory needs can be quite useful to help them benefit from their rehab optimally. Yeah, that's really good awareness. Yeah. Mm. I also find that sometimes, not everyone, some people with uh, on the autism spectrum might prefer a strict exercise routine, whereas people with ADHD might prefer novelty. So if they fail to comply to their boring physio exercises at home, maybe they might prefer a group exercise environment and you could suggest that. Mm. Some of them are also highly creative and talented, so you can perhaps cater your rehab to their abilities. So if they like say, playing the piano or musical instruments, you can have a look at how they maybe assess how they play if you have the chance to do that and teach them. For example, I have some patients who have collapsing fingertips while they're playing a musical instrument and 
I might provide some tips for them uh, in regards to that. Or we could also encourage them to do their postural training exercises while they're engaging in their hobbies. So it's, you know, rehab is not uh, boring for them. And then I guess also people with ADHD may have, uh, may sometimes be a bit distracted or they may have something called auditory processing disorder. Mm. So they may not be able to remember your instructions, especially if they're quite long. So uh, they might benefit more from your therapy if you wrote them down or type out a summary of your instructions for them at the end of the appointment for them to use as a checklist to come back to later on. It's super patient-centered and individualized. And I'm, I'm even just thinking about that for your standard private practice patient, being aware of those cues and those preferences are so important, but more so for this population. Chen, with about a minute to go, would you have any other useful resources? You mentioned the, the UK website. Is there anything else that you would reference? Yes, so um, the EDS UK website, definitely, and their YouTube channel has lots of helpful information. EDS UK also has, and every year they do have free training for health professionals looking after people with EDS. And then for chronic fatigue, workwellfoundation.com is also really good. Also, Physiopedia for chronic fatigue has some useful resources there. I also do have a summary of the resources in my website at drchenphysio.com, which I often direct my patients to. Perfect. Thank you, Chen. So that's a really beautiful and well-rounded view of EDS. And I, I think we should call the episode not just Bendy because you've covered so much <laughs> about everything in the patient's sphere that's not just a loose joint. So um, thank you so much for that coverage and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you.